3: Or, of course, tweet me at Jim Kramer. Anybody who has a high school diploma has almost certainly taken a course in chemistry, a course in geometry, some physics probably, and a host of history classes. And you can graduate from college speaking three languages and have a deep understanding of quantum physics. But you know the one thing they almost never teach you in high school, let alone touch with a 10-foot pole in college? Financial literacy. And I'm not talking about economics here. You can be an econ major and still learn nothing about personal financial planning or retirement readiness or even how to balance a darn checkbook, let alone how to invest your money wisely. Money is just not talked about in education. It's like the third rail of the whole educational system. And that's why I'm on a constant mission to teach you about every aspect, managing your money so that you'll be able to become a better investor, both when it comes to retirement investing And playing around with what I call your discretionary mad money portfolio. Which is a big reason why I wrote Get Rich Carefully to begin with. Now, most of you even, not really, even if you don't own individual stocks directly, you probably have some kind of exposure to the stock market. Probably a 401k plan where you keep the bulk of your retirement funds, which is why I want to take a moment to talk about retirement. For those of you who have been living in a cave for the last 20 years, 401k plans are the main way Americans save. They're offered by your employer, and they're among the great tax-deferred investment vehicles out there, along with the IRA. No, not the Irish Republican Army. I'm talking about the individual retirement account. Wait, for those of you who are about to fall asleep or change the channel because the whole idea of saving for retirement puts you to sleep, hear me out, because you need to know this stuff. And I'm going to tell you some things that you won't hear from the so-called experts. This show's different. At this point, it's pretty much become conventional wisdom that you have to invest in your 401k, that only an idiot would not contribute to a 401k plan. A lot of experts will even tell you to max out your 401k if you make enough money for that to be feasible. The maximum contribution tends to be going up over time from 17500 in 2014 18000 in 2015. But either way, that's a serious chunk of change. And remember, those contributions come from your pre-tax income. However, I am not one of those people who thinks you should max out of your 401k. I am not someone who's going to sing the praises of the 401k and tell you it's the key to your financial salvation. Because the truth is, 401k plans can be a real mixed bag. With a couple of really great features and a lot of bad ones, too. And those bad futures will eat away at your returns year after year, sometimes through fees that are almost totally hidden from you that actually are quite upsetting to me. So let me lay out the good, the bad, and the ugly of 401k plans. And then I'm going to tell you whether it makes sense for you to contribute more money to your own 401k or maybe you could put that cash in a better place, better use somewhere else. First, the good. The best thing about a 401k is it's a tax-deferred investment vehicle. You pay no taxes on what you put in. Then you never pay a penny of capital gains taxes on the profits you make within your 401k, which allows your money to compound year after year, compounding just being fantastic, decade after decade, totally tax-free until you decide to start making withdrawals. Regular viewers of this show and readers of my books know that I'm a huge believer in the power of compounding. So let me give you an example here. Suppose you're 30 years old and you start investing $5,000 a year to your 401k. And remember, you're not paying any income tax on that 5,000 contributions pre-tax income. If you choose your investments wisely, you should be able to generate perhaps maybe as much as a 7% return on average. So over the course of the next 30 years, you'll be contributing $150,000 to your 401k plan. But because that money is able to compound year after year without any capital gains taxes, by the time you're 60, that $5,000 per year pre-tax income, well, that could be worth over $511,000. If you had to pay taxes on dividends and capital gains, believe me, that number would be much, would be a a lot lower, perhaps as much as $110,000 lower. That's how important compounding is. You and, and avoiding, well, let's say, the tax-deferred nature of the thing, you, uh, you only ever have to pay taxes on your 401k money once, and that's when you decide to withdraw it. At that point, your withdrawals are taxed as ordinary income, and since you're likely to be retired by then, most of, the, of, of you will end up paying a lower rate than if you'd been taxed on that money when you first earned it where you're still getting those higher rate levels, okay? So that's one major reason to like 401k plans. The second, many, but not all, employers will match or partially match your 401k contributions. In other words, for every dollar you invest in your 401k plan, your employer might throw in, say, 50 cents up to a certain point. That is free money, and you must almost never want to walk away from free money, especially, again, when it's also untaxed. But if you don't get free money from your employer for contributing to 401k, then I think it's a much less compelling option, frankly. Because as I said before, there are a lot of things about a 401k plan that can be really bad. Which is why, if, again, you don't get a match from your employer, I believe it's a better idea to save for retirement via the Individual Retirement Account, or IRA, which has the same exact tax-favored status as a 401k. You can only contribute $5,500 a year to your IRA, or $6,500 if you're over 50. But when you change jobs, you can roll over all the money in your 401k into an IRA. And that's exactly what you should do every time to switch employers or find yourself out of work. Why do I think an IRA is is the better option? First of all, 401k plans vary widely from company to company. Some of them give you a terrific range of choices and even let you pick individual stocks. But many more companies give you a 401k plan with limited options. Sometimes you only get to choose between a dozen, uh, maybe a couple dozen at most different mutual funds. So for those of you who can't pick your own stocks, your 401k, my number one rule is that, that is that before you contribute money to your 401k plan, you have to make sure it gives you the option to put your cash into something that's actually worth investing in. I'll make this very simple. If you can't pick your own stocks in a 401k, then you want a nice, low-expense index fund that mimics the S&P 500. However, if your 401k doesn't even offer that, shame on you, but, well, shame on your company, then go with a self-directed IRA from a full-service discount broker. i talk about a fidelity, you know, so that you can have control over your money. One more negative. Within a 401k, when you invest in a mutual fund, you have to pay that mutual fund's fees. This is really important. But your 401k administrator, administrator the, company, your, uh, the, uh, the people your, your employer hires to run these plans, they will also charge fees. <laughs> Meaning that all the money 401k saves you on taxes, a great deal of that can actually be clawed back by these fees. If you ever looked at your statement and wondered why the heck your 401k holdings aren't increasing in value like they should be, Fees are probably the reason. So where does all this leave us? Here's my bottom line on retirement investing. If the company you work for offers an employer match for your 401k contributions, then you want to put money into your 401k until that match is maxed out. No reason to pass up on free money. And after that, put any additional retirement savings into an IRA. But if there's no employer match or if there's an employer match, but your 401k doesn't give you any options that are worth investing in, you would do better to skip the 401k and go straight to an IRA immediately. Deborah in California, Deborah.
0: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Quite welcome. I have a two part question regarding the value of listening to a company's earnings conference call. Okay. The first part is how can we decide what we want to do, in other words, what action we want to take, based on the earnings report? since the stock frequently will behave in a contradictory fashion to the report for example a company can report good earnings but guide lower on the revenue and uh, and uh, and earnings going forward and the stock will go up mm-hmm. The second, where you might think that it should go down, right? The second part of my question is I'm on the West Coast, so the calls frequently are at 7 and 8 Mm -hmm. o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. So for me, the value of listening to the call is diminished because I'm not going to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. to listen to it. So I'm not going to really take any action on that. Okay,
3: well, here's the solution to this, Deborah. You have no gun to your head. Unlike the hedge funds, you can listen at your leisure. I'm not trying to get anybody into a quarter uh, to buy a stock ahead of a quarter if I can avoid it. What you want to do is take a longer-term view in the comfort of your home without any noise. Go listen to the call or read it. Go to uh, Yahoo Finance. Get some of the research. Street.com, CNBC. Get some research. Match the expectations with what was said. Take a longer-term view. That's the advantage of the individual investor. You don't have to play that day. Doug in Nevada. Doug.
0: Bountiful booyah, Mr. K. Okay. Yeah, my question is, I have a 401 uh, that's fairly substantial. Uh, Would it be advisable for me to change that to a a self-directed IRA?
3: Okay, well, what matters is the match. I mean, if you have, if the employer's matching, no. Okay, you want to get the max of the, you want to get the max match, so to speak, and then after that, yes. Or, uh, but if it's just a, it's six or one or one half dozen the other, and the funds aren't that list aren't that good that you're allowed to be in your 401k, then yes, I want you to choose the self-directed IRA. All right, let me help you take control of your financial future. When it comes to retirement, if your company matches your contribution to 401k, then max that out. That's really important. But if you don't get an employer match, or you don't have investable options, go straight to the IRA. On MAD tonight, you just got your diploma, so now what? Don't miss my investing advice for recent college grads. Then too busy to invest in individual stocks? Hey, that's fine. I'll help you put your money behind the next best thing. Plus, there are many roads to a healthy retirement. Let's chart your course. Why don't you stick with Kramer?
2: Don't miss a second of MAD Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth.
3: If everyone in this country went insane and decided to turn American into Kramerican with me as your king or Generalissimo or Grand Puba, you better believe I'd be making some changes and changes pronto. But because this is a show about money, I'm going to stick to the financial elements of the Kramer regime. Because the fact is, it drives me nuts that we don't really teach our young people about how to handle money. And I'm talking about early, too, not just college. Would it be so crazy if you had to take a class in personal finance before you could graduate from high school? I think it should be mandatory, like those awkward health classes they make everyone take that can get a little graphic at times. Now, sadly, I am nobody's dictator. I don't have any influence over educational policy in this country, but I do control what we talk about on this show. So can I just take a moment to speak some words that we all uh, believe but very rarely get to say in conversation? Look, money is important. It's really important. And caring about the state of your finances does not make you some kind of superficial bourgeois monster. For example, let's say you've got a really lousy credit score and you want to get married. Congratulations. You've just inflicted your horrible credit on your new spouse. Now, neither you nor your partner will be able to qualify for a loan to buy a car or a home or perhaps even just get a darn credit card. These things matter in life. They say money can't buy happiness, but I've often found that uh, kind of piece of cliché conventional wisdom to be dubious at best, since being broke is indeed a major buzzkill, as I know firsthand from the time I spent living in my 1978 Ford Fairmont. I sure wish I had an expert to guide me through all this stuff way back then. So let me answer one of the most important questions out there. What the heck should young people do with their money? First, And foremost and always, you need to invest. That's the only way you're going to be able to achieve financial freedom. And by freedom, what I mean is living a life where you're not totally 100% dependent on your paycheck. I'm always thrilled when I see members of the younger demographic who are taking an active hand in managing their own money. Too many people start saving and investing way too late. That makes their lives a lot more difficult than they need to be. But I also know many young people feel like they have all the time in the world. Many more start investing before they're truly ready, when, uh, when they are, in fact, better things for them to be doing stuff with their money. So we got to really drill down on this. I mean, that's why I, I'm going to give you three lessons and a caveat for all of those who are recently out of college. Let's start with a caveat. Before you can start investing, you need to pay off your credit card debt. All right, this is something I've mentioned before. But it's especially true for younger people, particularly since credit card companies have gotten really aggressive about offering credit to college students. No matter how much money you rack up in the stock market, if you're carrying a balance in your credit cards, then it's going to eat into your returns. I know this myself firsthand. And long term, the interest on those credit cards will probably be greater than the profits you can make from investing, at least on a percentage basis. So just pay your darn credit card balance in full every month. Automate it with your credit card company if you're worried. You'll be tempted not to. I can't defeat that credit card debt, with ha- no matter how many great stock ideas I have on the show. All right, now let's get to my three lessons for young investors. First, this is really for all young people who've recently graduated, and actually for everyone out there, regardless of age of education level. You need to save money, but I recognize that not everyone has an inherent predisposition to save. We can't all be natural cheapskates, and I also acknowledge that just telling you to save over and over again won't necessarily do any good. However... The stock market is a great way to trick yourself into saving a part of your paycheck that you might otherwise spend. Investing in stocks can actually be a lot of fun. We try that on the show, right? We try to do some entertainment within the teaching, whereas leaving money in a savings account or a certificate of deposit just feels like, well, kind of joyless for a lot of people. Not to mention the fact that the returns are so small that they're basically, yes, indeed, I'm going to use the word meaningless. Plus, if you invest your savings in the market, it'll be a lot easier to resist the temptation to spend that money on things That you might not need because it will be sitting in stocks that you like and you have to say you have to sell those stocks to get your money back. And there's a natural predilection to not sell once you buy. Not only is this a terrific way to trick yourself into saving, but it also has the added advantage of being the smartest place to put your money from the financial perspective right now. Yes, traditional saving vehicles like money market funds, wow, you see those rates? I check them every week. CDs, check those every week. They give you hardly any return at all. It's a waste to keep your savings in them when that cash could be making you a lot more money by owning stocks in a brokerage account and working with your money. Get your hands dirty with your money. Second lesson for young investors, this is a much more targeted piece of advice. While you're still young, you can afford to take a lot more risk than, say, an old fogey like myself. In other words, when you're in your 20s, you can get away with riskier, some would say more reckless strategies like owning more speculative single digit stocks where the potential upside could be huge, but so is the potential downside, or playing with options and just generally being a lot more aggressive with your money. Why is that? It's not because young people are naturally better speculators, not at all. It's simply because when you make a mistake in your 20s with your money, you have the, your whole rest of your life to fix it. You can afford to buy more high-risk stocks and end up losing your money when you're young because you got 40-odd years to earn back your losses, so you've got to take those risks. Older investors, you've got to be more cautious. The closer you get to retirement, the more conservative your investing strategy has to be. More bonds, more high-yielding stocks, fewer speculative stocks trading in the single digits. But if you're in your 20s, you should invest like a young person, not an old person. That means forget about bonds, people. Please, I'm begging you. There's absolutely no reason for someone in their 20s to have bond exposure when that money could be invested in stocks, where it'll most likely end up consistently making you a higher return year after year. So, young people, I want you to take this advice to heart, especially because I suspect that the recent college grads most likely to invest in the market are also the ones who are the most responsible, the most prudent about their money. And prudence is great when you're putting together a budget to live with within your means or deciding how much of your paycheck to save every month. But for young investors... Being too prudent is actually being reckless. 20-somethings, live a little, at least in your stock portfolios. Take some risks. Forget about bonds for the next decade. Play around with some speculative names. Maybe some tiny biotech companies with a lot of potential. Even if if they blow up on you and go all the way to zero, you got your whole life to make that money back. Final lesson for young investors, it's never too early to start investing for retirement. Use your 401k if your job has one. Especially put some money in a Roth IRA, which is ideal for young investors. I'll give you more on that later. Here's the bottom line. For young people just out of college, investing is a great way to treat yourself into saving money. You might otherwise spend that money. Beyond that, remember that when you're young, you can afford to take a lot more risk with your portfolio, and it's never too soon to start contributing to your 401k or IRA, especially if that IRA is a Roth. Let's go to Mike in Tennessee. Mike, Mike, Mike. Uh,
0: hey, Jim. How you doing? I uh, love your show. Thank uh, you. We watch it all the time.
3: Thank you. Uh, the, uh, my question is, Uh, A
0: a few episodes ago, you said that you did not like buying a stock if the peg ratio got above two.
3: Right. And I'm,
0: I'm wondering whether or not you use peg ratios as a sell signal, and if you do, how high will you let it go before you pull the trigger and sell it? Okay,
3: when it's more than two times the uh, the growth growth rate, I do get nervous. Now, there are some stocks that don't trade on earnings, and you've got to be careful. Like a cold stock, there's a bunch of cold stocks I talk about all the time. But the typical stock, if it trades for, lower, for you know, great, lower than two times that, that rate of growth, I'm fine with it. But it is a red flag once it gets higher. A penny saved is a penny earned. Investing is a great way to trick yourself into saving money. It's never too soon to contribute to your IRA or your 401K. I got a lot more tonight on this deep dive into the pros and cons of index funds. Hey, which way do I come out? Don't miss my take. Then income is a big factor in choosing your retirement path. I'm going to push you in the right direction right here, right now. Plus, I wouldn't wish student loan debt on my worst enemy. I'll help you protect your family from this expensive burden. Don't go away. Stay with Kramer.
2: You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere the way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would, or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeer.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.
3: We live in a world where you have more choices about where to invest your money than ever before. A virtual infinity of ETFs, mutual funds, you name it. But more choice isn't always better. Sometimes having more options just makes it impossible to decide which ones are right and which ones are wrong for you. And you've never had more options when it comes to picking exchange-traded funds and mutual funds than you do right now. They're everywhere. At this point, there are so many different kinds of ETFs that it can make your head spin. As a side note, I hate the way many of the sector-based ETFs, the ones that let you buy and sell an entire group like the banks, the home builders, I hate the way they've been warping the way the whole stock market trades. That's something you can find out more about and get rich carefully. And if you're in these ETFs, I have to urge you to find out about them. But the important thing is this. You have all sorts of ETFs and mutual funds out there, and they can all advertise. The companies that run these funds, they want your money. And one of the biggest mistakes you can make as an individual investor is to give it to them with a few significant exceptions. Unfortunately, this is also one of the most common money mistakes out there. In fact, most people in this country simply equate investing with putting their money in mutual funds. Some 80 million people or basically half the households in America have exposure to mutual funds. Many of you don't have a choice. A lot of 401k plans don't let you pick individual stocks. They just give you a menu of mutual funds to choose from. Which is one major reason I think that all else being equal, an individual retirement account or IRA is a better way to invest for retirement for you. What exactly is so bad about most mutual funds? Why am I railing against something that's an institution in this country? Simple. If you're investing in mutual funds, you're most likely, well, to put it delicately, let's say uh, you're uh, getting hosed. Now, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here. There are some worthwhile mutual funds, and I'll tell you how to find them in a minute. But first, you need to understand the problem with the mutual fund model. My main beef here is that with actively managed mutual funds, mutual funds where there are people deciding which stocks or other securities to buy and sell, we've got some problems. Unlike hedge funds, mutual fund managers don't get paid for delivering performance. They collect fees from their investors, people like you, and the amount of money they make depends entirely on the size of their assets under management. A-U-M, we call it, which means their biggest incentive is not necessarily to do well something that good performance can really help with. But what they're really being paid to do is bring in more money from more investors, salespeople for their funds. And that's part of the reason why in study after study, year after year, it has been shown that the vast majority of actively managed mutual funds underperform their benchmarks like the S&P 500. In other words, if you invest in an actively managed fund for large capitalization U.S. stocks, then its performance will most likely fall short fall short of the S&P 500. Make matters worse. Even though actively managed funds consistently underperform the market, they have some of the highest fees in the business. How do you like that? They don't do as well as the benchmark, and they charge more. So even if your fund does manage to beat its benchmarks, the odds are good that any outperformance could be eaten up by big management fees. And you'll end up with an underperforming investment versus being in a simple index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. Of course, there's some actively managed funds out there with fabulous managers who consistently deliver terrific results. And I'm going to tell you how to find them another time. But the trouble is, when a mutual fund delivers such great results for so long, if the manager is a decent person, they'll stop accepting new investments. Put their foot down. Because at a certain point, when a fund gets too big, it becomes incredibly difficult for it to beat the market. That's just the law of large numbers. So as a general rule, if you're going to invest in mutual funds, you don't want to be in an actively managed one. The fees are too high, and the evidence that the bulk of them underperform is frankly just too staggering to keep going that way. You know that I think your best strategy is to manage your own portfolio of individual stocks. That's what I talk about night after night on mad Money. But for those of you who don't have the time to research individual companies, or if your 401k plan just won't let you own them, let me tell you the smart way to invest in mutual funds. You want, and you can write this down, a cheap, low-cost index fund that mirrors the market as a whole, one that mimics the S&P 500. Index funds have ultra-low fees, and with an S&P index fund, you've got a vehicle that will let you participate in the strength of the stock market without having to spend the time picking individual stocks. Now, this may sound like a real simple solution. Don't overthink it. The whole point of putting your money in a fund is to save you the time and effort required to manage your own portfolio of stocks. That's why I think it's insane when people start owning multiple mutual funds. By its very nature, a fund should be diversified. Now, I know there are a lot of sector-based mutual funds and, and ETFs out there, but there's really no reason for home gamers like you to have any exposure to them. If you're going to take the time to try to play individual sectors, that, that, uh, that time would really be much better spent picking individual stocks. As for ETFs, in most cases, these vehicles are for trading, not investing, so I don't like them. Many ETFs rebalance every day, and that can take a real toll on any kind of long-term performance. They're not set up for long-term performance. There are some exceptions. The GLD, which is the ETF that I like to play for gold. But in general, if you're not a pro and you're not managing a portfolio of individual stocks and you're not day trading every single day, then you probably shouldn't be fooling around with those ETFs either. Here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, I think a cheap S&P 500 index fund is the least bad way to passively manage your money, better than the vast bulk of actively managed mutual funds. But an index fund owns everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you do have the time, I think you can beat the performance of an index fund by picking stocks yourself, which is the entire reason I do this show every night. If you don't have the time, though, then don't overthink it. Just one cheap S&P index fund is indeed the best way to go. Mary in Maryland, Mary.
0: Oh, yeah, Jim. Mm Mm-hmm. Jim, I started listening to you a while back. Then I started buying stocks on your advice. Thank you. Now I'm looking at my portfolio here, and Jim, Jim, mine eyes have seen the glory. So I want to get a little fancier and perhaps buy some China stocks, However, mm. I'm curious about ADRs and possible exposure to foreign currency exchange rates. Well, so can you educate Kramer off on ADRs and exchange rate exchange sure. exposure?
3: Sure. we got the Battle of the Republic going overseas. I don't know if I want that, but here's the way I look at it. Uh, if you want to own individual stocks and their businesses are good, I don't really care where they are. I don't even care about the currency. If the business is that great the stock will go higher. But understand that if you're buying an ADR and it's a European company, for instance, say, and the euro is being weakened by, uh, by central bank issues, you will not do well, even if the stock does well. So all things being neutral and you don't have a country or, or a continent trying to debase the currency, I'm fine with it. But if they are, you got to stay away. You got to stay in the good old U.S. of A., which, by the way, I think is a real smart way to invest. Matthew in New York. Matthew. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, back at you.
0: <laughs> hey, Yeah, uh, I'm 23 years old, a recent college grad and new to the workforce, uh, and I just started and maxed out my IRA. Uh, realizing times on my side, I want to kind of go for an aggressive allocation for growth and take on risk, but I'm unsure of how to do that exactly. Uh, so I just want to kind of get your suggestions uh, for someone starting out through the uh, retirement investment investing Uh, How would you uh, go and allocate? Well, I think that, uh, you know, you uh, want to have the
3: fastest young growth stocks. And those are, tend to be found in technology sector, but also, of course, in biotech. Now, don't go too crazy. I'm willing to have one or two stocks that don't, of companies that aren't making money. No more than that. But those are the most fertile areas. Uh, Junior growth stocks, companies that are worth a billion dollars or less. A lot of them that are too small to talk about. One of those two. These are all fine you can do those because if you lose money, you've got the rest of your life to make it back. Sorry, not so much mutual love here. Picking stocks is still the best way to manage your money, but if you don't have time, just please, 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 go with the cheap S&P 500 fund over most actively managed funds. Now, there's much more have money ahead, including how to find the best path to a healthy retirement depending on your income. Then don't forget the kids, please. Protecting your children from student loan debt will put them in a better position to build their future. I'll help you plan for that hefty tuition bill. Plus, I'm responding to your tweets with the, without the 140-character restriction. that so hems me in. Stick with Kramer. Let me tell you about whether it makes sense for you to use a regular 401k or an IRA, or for you to go with a Roth, which is a term I'm sure you've heard countless times but may not understand. Now, I know I've talked endlessly about the benefits of using an individual retirement account, or IRA for short, and a 401k plan to invest for retirement. I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. But this is a subject I get a ton of questions about. Should I put my money in a Roth account or a regular one? So why don't we start with the Roth IRA? I think that aside from the earned income tax credit, the Roth IRA may be the single greatest thing our government has done for low-income families since the end of the war on poverty, which at best ended in the draw, poverty possibly winning on points. I've told you all about how a regular IRA lets you take pre-tax income, invest it, and then your gains can compound year after year, decade after decade, totally tax-free, until you decide to withdraw that money when you retire. A Roth IRA works differently. With a Roth, you make contributions with after-tax income. So, in other words, unlike a regular IRA, putting money into a Roth won't decrease your tax bill. On the other hand, though, once your money is in a Roth IRA, you will never pay taxes on it again. As long as your cash remains in the account, you don't pay capital gains tax. You don't pay dividend tax. And when you withdraw it, which you can do without penalty after the age of 59 and a half, you don't pay any income tax on your withdrawals. This is fabulous. In other words, with a Roth, you pay taxes now so that you don't have to pay any taxes, uh, t- income tax 30 or 40 years from now when you're retired. There's one more positive point about a Roth. You can withdraw the money you've invested, not your gains, just the amount you've contributed, and you won't get hit with a 10% penalty, which is what happens when you try to withdraw money from a regular IRA before you hit that magic age of 59 and a half. <clears throat> That's very different from a regular IRA where you don't pay any taxes on your contributions now and your gains don't get taxed within the account. But once you start withdrawing the money, every penny you take out is taxed as taxes, ordinary income. which can be a very high rate, which means that when you're trying to decide between a Roth IRA or a 401k and a regular IRA or 401k, you're basically deciding whether it makes more sense to pay income tax now with a Roth or to wait and pay income tax once you've retired with a regular account. In other words, you have to figure out whether you'll be in the higher tax bracket after you've retired or a lower one. Obviously, this is a complicated question. It really has a lot to do with the specifics of your situation, your career, and simply how, uh, how old you are. I, let me give you a quick rule of thumb, though. For anyone whose marginal tax rate is 25% or less, which is most of America, I think you ought to go with a Roth. Better to take the hit up front than allow your Roth IRA to compound tax-free for the rest of your life. Remember, for those of you who don't have the time to pick your own diversified portfolio, say, of 5 to 10 stocks, the smartest thing to do is just park your retirement money in a low-cost index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. As you get older, you can add some bonds. But really, until you actually retire, stocks should make up the majority of your retirement investments. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to keep repeating it until they take me off the air because it's so necessary. But it's contrary to conventional wisdom. I want stocks, not bonds, until later. How about a Roth 401k? This works just like a Roth IRA, meaning you make contributions with after-tax income, and then you never pay taxes on that money again except because it's a 401k plan. It has a much higher contribution limit than an IRA. For example, the government says the 401k contribution limit for 2015 is $18,000 whereas an IRA annual contributions are capped at a mere $5,500. And there's one other big difference. Unlike a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k doesn't have any kind of income cap. No matter how much money you earn, you can take advantage of one of these as long as your employer decides to give you the option. Of course, all this depends on what you think the future is going to look like. I'll admit, if you believe the taxes are inexorably headed higher over the course of your lifetime, then a Roth 401k where you pay your taxes now and pay nothing in the future, well, that is so the way to go, even if you're making a lot of money in the present. But I think that belief's mistaken. For those of you young people who have only become politically conscious under the Obama administration, it may seem like there's no way to stop the tide of higher taxes. But history says different. And I believe we can close the deficit without substantially raising taxes. It's about as political as I'm going to get on this show. At the end of the day, though, this is both beyond our control and therefore beyond our ability to to predict. The bottom line. The lower your present income, then the lower your taxes. A Roth 401k or Roth IRA lets you pay those low rates now and never worry about taxes again for your retirement money. So the less you make, the more likely it is that a Roth is for you. It's that simple. And when you're saving for retirement, don't worry about what could go catastrophically wrong 30 or 40 years in the future. Just worry about making the best choices right now. Man Money's back after the break. i have been reading a lot of stories about the crushing burden of student loan debt. Right now, tens of millions of Americans owe more than a trillion dollars in student debt. That's an incredibly high figure. And it's not just that it really stinks to graduate from college or graduate school and then immediately realize that it might take decades to pay back those loans. In study after study, kids who graduate with no debt end up being worth a lot more money than their classmates who have outstanding student loans. Now, I'm a big believer in social mobility, which is why I'm constantly coming out here and teaching you how to use the stock market, because it's the greatest wealth engine of wealth ever created, and I want you to help uh, use it to make some serious money. So for any of you who are parents or are thinking of becoming parents, let me just tell you right now that there are very few things you can do for your children that are better than paying for as much of their college education as you can afford. We know that college graduates have a much easier time getting jobs, especially in our current environment where unemployment is still way too high. And we also know that they ultimately make more money. Of course, if I were uh, uh, were to make a kind of like Abe Maslow-style hierarchy of financial needs, you can Google that. I would tell you that it's more important for you to save and invest for retirement, which is why I talked about it earlier in the show. For those of you who are parents, how could your own retirement possibly be more important than making sure your kids have the best future possible? Simple. Because believe me, if you reach retirement age and you don't have enough money to pay for your kids, who do you think is going to support you, your kids? You don't want to be a burden on them, so take care of yourselves first. However, after you've saved enough for retirement in a given year, then it's time to start thinking about college, even if your kid is only a toddler. Heck, I mean, even if your kid's still just a kind of gleam in your eye, so to speak. And the best way to save for college, hands down, is through what's known as a, write this down, 529 plan. Now, these plans do vary by state. But the general rules are true all across the country. There are two kinds of 529 plans. First, some states let you use a 529 as a way to hedge against tuition inflation by buying tuition credits at today's prices that can be used in the future. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I want you to use a 529 savings plan. Again, these are run by the states, and the rules differ from state to state. But generally speaking, a 529 doesn't let you manage your own portfolio. You have to pick between a mix of different mutual funds, just like with many 401k plans. This is really not my favorite way to do things. I prefer you to have control of your assets and the selection of which stocks to buy or which financial, uh, which actual instruments. Okay, But 529s have so much going for them. You know what? I'm going to swallow this one flaw. Remember, when you can only choose between funds, go for a low-cost fund that mirrors the market, either the S&P 500 or something like the Vanguard Total Market Fund, uh, it's a, it, which is you'll see in many of these 529 plans. It literally owns all the stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. But since it's weighted by market cap, its performance will be very similar to the S&P, which contains the 500 largest companies. So what are the rules for this 529 plan? Let's say you just had your first child. Congratulations! <laughs> If you can afford it, you should start a 529 with your kid as the beneficiary right then and right there. Well, maybe wait a couple of days after all. I mean, you just had a baby. Although anyone who's read Confession of a Street Addict knows I traded big blocks of Alcoa throughout the birthing. and Not one of my finest moments. Anyway, here's how a 529 works. The contributions are not tax deductible a lot of you think they are they're not so you're paying for this out of after tax income that's not so great but and here's the good part once your money is in the 529 plan you don't pay any taxes on your gains so you let them compound tax free year after year really it's a lot like a roth ira except for college except for college rather than retirement because of federal gift tax laws you can only contribute $14,000 a year if you're single if you're married and you file your taxes jointly. Still, that's a heck of a lot of money when you think about it. Oh, and by the way, your children's grandparents can contribute to the same 529 plan, too. And if you don't have the money, a grandparent can also start a 529 with your kid as the beneficiary. Although, for financial aid reasons, it's better to have a parent do it. Now, let's uh, say for some reason you or your parents are sitting on a really huge sum of money. One of the cool things about a 529 plan is that you can front load five years' worth of contributions without incurring the federal gift tax, as long as you don't write any checks to the plan's beneficiary over the next five years. In other words, a single parent or grandparent could potentially invest $70,000 into a 529 right from the start. Or if you're married and filed jointly, you can contribute $140,000. For the next five years after that, you won't be able to contribute anything without getting hit by the gift tax, which is something you don't want. But honestly, once you've dropped that kind of money into 529, you, you won't need to make too many more contributions. The key here, though, is that you want to get that money into your kid's 529 as early as possible. That's because the greatest of these plans is all about the power of compounding. Remember, you don't pay taxes within 529. So if you can somehow contrive to contribute $70,000 right off the bat and you invest that money in a low-cost index fund that mirrors the market, the rule of thumb is that over time, you'll make an average of roughly 8% per year. I know the stock market is actually a lot more volatile than that, but just as a thought experiment, if stocks generally perform like they have historically, you could double your investment in about nine years. So if you start saving right when your kid is born, By the time he or she is 18, the value of your 529 plan will have doubled and doubled again. If you started with $70,000, then after 18 years, barring some kind of catastrophe, you could have as much as $280,000. Seen it time and time again. That's enough for a fancy, expensive private college education a decent chunk of law school to boot. I know that most people can't front load a 529 like this, especially not with all the expenses that come with raising a kid. But it's worth keeping in mind that front-loading as much as possible is indeed the best strategy. Oh, and for grandparents, this may sound kind of grim, but your 529 plan contributions won't count towards your estate tax. Last thing about saving for college and grad school. Any money in a 529 plan that you don't use, you can transfer to another relative. We're talking siblings, parents, even first cousins. Oh, and if you save all this money and your ungrateful kid decides not to go to college, you can just withdraw the money from the 529 plan, but in that case, You have to pay taxes on any of your gains, along with a 10% penalty. So here's the bottom line. No, paying for your kid's college education isn't as important, at least financially, as providing for yourself in retirement. But if you have children, then after you've made enough retirement contributions for the year, putting money in a 529 college savings plan should be the next item in your agenda. It's the best way to protect your kids from the crushing burden of student loan debt. Mad Money is back after the break. Holy cow, we gotta get to some of your tweets that you've been sending me at Jim Kramer, hashtag mad tweets, including ones that are very nice and smart. All right, here we go. At Kenneth Fagan23 tweets, I love you, Jim. Oh. I love you, Kenneth Fagan23. How's that? It's requited in my book, all right? Some people call me Jack Tatum. No, I'm a sweet guy. At JWGreen underscore wants to know the following. Why care about short-term hit if you have long-term investment strategy? Amen. How many times have I said, I like XYZ stock. It goes down that day, and people want to burn me in effigy, or they want to burn me in, in scalding oil. It doesn't have to be that day. Think a little longer term, particularly when you're out, you get a better tax break. Here we uh, have at D.I.I.Gaugh, who wants to know, aside from your own, what other books should uh, home investors have under their belts? to help them trade slash manage better. Hashtag get a plan. One up on Wall Street and beat the street. Peter Lynch, they're available on Amazon. One up on Wall Street and beat the street. You might want to look at some of David Darst's books. Those are available on Amazon. I use those to learn a great deal, and he taught me a lot at Goldman Sachs and then moved on. But uh, David Darst's books are very good. Up next, at Dr. Hoy 480 tweets, do you ever sleep or did one of your biotechs provide you with clones to assist? Winky face. Winky face, presuming means you know, like an emoji thing. No, I don't sleep. Okay, now we've answered that question. Now at Luratin, give me a heads up. BTW, which I think stands for by the way. I am now following your know what you own motto or K-W-Y-O. Clean my portfolio this week. Yo, low. Y-O-L-O, you only live once, so I totally agree with you. Here's at Crabo 44 he wants me to know, know, I'm in the market because of you. Sir, just give all the haters a big booyah. Keep teaching us what they want to grow. Jim, okay, let me give you a little heads up. I love the haters. I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for them. I would have gotten that years ago. I am a Biteful, driven guy to the haters. And everyone in my personal life knows that. So, haters, you're why I'm in this game. Congratulations. And stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you next time.